0: you are and however you happen to be listening, we're so glad you've chosen to tune in to DLC, especially if you're one of our geeks and sneaks out there using this show to get you through a workout or a run. We got your back. We're going to be in your ear holes for 90 plus minutes with gaming goodness because DLC is your downloadable commentary for the week delivered the way we love it to be completely free. And that's thanks to our sponsor this week, Linode. DLC, of course, the show all about games in their many forms. Games played on desktops, laptops, and consoles, and also games that involve dice, luck, and cardboard. I'm your host, Jeff kanata that's spelled with two N's and one T, and I'm joined, as always, by my friend slash co-host slash nemesis. The guy who never complains when he's
1: booed at a theater, Mr. Christian Spicer. Hello, Christian. Hello, Jeff. Hello, everyone. Happy Thanksgiving week to everyone in the United States. And I think I can safely say, if you are listening to this podcast, you have a lot to be thankful for. I know life is a grind and it's hard and it's tough sometimes, but I think... You know, and, and the origins of Thanksgiving have their own darkness behind them. But uh, I I do appreciate taking the time to sit back and think and reflect on everything we can be thankful for. And I'm not telling you you need to do this, but something my daughters and I did: we went to uh, the grocery store. Well, first we went online and looked at a bunch of local food banks in our area. We did four, and then we went to the grocery store, and I got them involved in picking out things that those food banks have requested to get them involved in giving back and doubling down on love. And then we dropped them all off. And then the little-known tip for food banks is really, really what you can give is money because that helps them get fresh produce that otherwise cannot be donated to food banks. It doesn't seem as fun, and I didn't do that with the girls because I wanted something tangible that they could see and do. But I think that is something awesome that you can do this Thanksgiving week and throughout the holidays.
0: Yeah, man. Uh, seconded. Uh, happy Thanksgiving. What do you guys do for Thanksgiving? You do anything fun? You're going you to go out of town or anything?
1: Uh, We're going to it's going to be my folks and my uh, my family. So it's my folks and my bros and their wives. And we'll be in northern California and your neck of the woods where, um you know, the 49ers will be horrible forever, apparently. Evidently. Yeah, that's
0: the plan. Uh, although I'm hoping that Cleveland wins a stupid game so we can get a draft <laughs> pick. Anyway, we're um, so yeah. bad. Happy Thanksgiving, everybody! Uh, happy Black Friday adventures. You know, uh, talking about video games is always always involves the Black Friday fun and deals, and uh, you know, it's a, it's a really fun time of year. All the big games are coming out. We got a lot to talk about. And We have an awesome guest to do it with. You know, the DLC always stands for your downloadable Canada and your downloadable Christian. This week we're excited because, once again, DLC is an easy one. It's Denny, last name Connolly, because we have journalist, cartoonist, content strategist, and game rant editor, Mr. Denny Connolly is back with us. Hey, Denny.
2: Hey, fellas. It's good to be here. Yeah, it's good to have you back, man. How you been? Oh, man, we've been good. It's that busy fall gaming season, so there's plenty to play and plenty to talk about every day.
0: Exactly, yeah. We're, uh... We're excited. We're going to be talking a little bit of Watch Dogs 2 this week. We're going to be talking uh, some interesting news. We got some. I got some really cool VR talk to talk about. We'll have some uh, Thanksgiving tabletop picks for you. A lot of cool stuff, so let's get right to it. Let's start the show the way we always do with Story of the Week. Story of the Week, it's the Story of the Week. Story of the Week, it's the Story Story of the Week is the part of the show where we make our case for the most important stories that happened in the world of games this week, and you can always submit stories for our consideration using our hashtag on Twitter, that's DLC SOTW, or by visiting our subreddit, really cool folks there, that's 5x5dlc.reddit.com. You can also send us emails to dlcfeedback at gmail.com, we appreciate your feedback and uh, story submissions there as well. Uh, Denny, you are our guest, so you get first pick of stories. What do you consider to be your story of the week?
2: Well, I can't pass up the uh, biggest Nintendo news of the last week, especially with all the Switch craziness that has been going on. So my story of the week is multiple reliable Nintendo sources hinting that Zelda Breath of Wild is going to miss the Switch release date by maybe a month or two, maybe three months, who knows at this point. Um, pretty crazy change.
1: Yeah, oh, yeah. I mean, switching th- release dates, guys. Hey, Come yo, on, hey, hey, hey,
2: Joy-Con. hey. Um,
0: so, <laughs> no Joy-Con this March. Uh, just Joy-Con. Um, this broke really close to after we we recorded last week. So this was this is a little bit older news. But but big- what did we
1: say? What did we say last week? Do you remember what we said about the switch? Uh, did what did we say? I don't. remember. We were so excited and how smart it is to launch with the Zelda game. Yes, yes. <laughs> and again. we were like, "Great podcast." Moving on, DLC <laughs> nails
0: it again.
1: <laughs> um. <laughs> so yes,
0: as you as you mentioned, Denny, um, Eurogamer broke this story. Evidently, there's this uh, tipster named Emily Rogers. Don't know if that's the real name or not, but basically, this is a person who's been very um, accurate in their Nintendo news leaks in the past. Uh, Emily Rogers posted that uh, the localization schedule for Zelda is now going to continue through the end of 2016. Uh, That's the localization is translation from Japanese to all the other languages that the game will be released in, including English. And uh, then once that is done, the QA... Uh, portion of pre-release begins and that's going to take four to six months so all the testing that happens for the game doesn't start until localization is complete localization is not going to be complete to the end of the year so four to six months of testing means we're looking at april to june release window for breath of the wild and they have not at this point mentioned a release date i think we all assumed it was going to be released alongside the switch because they said it was going to be released for both consoles switch is set to be released in march so tell me denny is this uh bad news for nintendo switch should they delay the release of the console
2: well there's kind of two sides to it on one hand do i want to play the best bug-free version of zelda possible of course, but on the other hand, I'm going to make fun of Nintendo relentlessly if this game doesn't launch with a Switch, um, just because this is the only game they showed at E3 this year. You know, this is the one game that all Nintendo fans have been dying for, that they made out that's going to be the biggest game of the year next year, and to bring out the new console that... I would sure there's going to be a Mario game. I'm sure maybe we'll get a new Mario Kart, and we're going to get, you know, hopefully ported Splatoon and things like that. But this seems like the game that is supposed to be the console seller. Mm -hmm. So I think that I think it's going to hurt them if this isn't, you know, the uh, there isn't a bundle of Zelda whenever this this console launches. But maybe maybe it just launches with a Mario bundle and then we get Zelda a month later. I think that in the long, in the grand scheme of things for Nintendo, it's not really gonna hurt them all that much. People the people who are gonna buy the Switch are kind of gonna buy it anyway, even if they have to wait a month for Zelda. So yeah, they should they shouldn't push Zelda out, you know, with bugs, obviously. And I don't think if they can put the Switch out in March, I think they do that. And, you know, it's gonna just be like the last couple of Nintendo consoles where we play just one or two games for a month and wait for the good stuff. I just hope that this doesn't turn into a thing where It's supposed to be delayed until April, and then, you know, next thing you know, it's summer and we still haven't played Zelda.
0: How crazy is it that we assume that the Mario game, which we've literally seen like four frames of in a, you know, buried in a teaser video, seems like an easier bet that will be launching alongside the console. And the game that we all had hands on with at E3 and we've known about for multiple years is the one that we don't think is going to come out alongside the console. That seems just insane. Like, what? (laughs) why do we think that there's going to be a Mario game? I mean, I guess they wouldn't release without some sort of big new title. Um, Christian, is there a silver lining here in the sense that maybe you get two bumps if you're Nintendo? Maybe you get the bump of the, hey you know, maybe inexpensive console that's pretty exciting and new and has all this cool new functionality releasing in one month and then a couple months later, a second bump of more of those consoles sold because of Zelda hits.
1: I think that nails it. I think you nailed it on the head there. I'm actually, I think as a consumer and Zelda fan, I think it's frustrating because, you know, of course, I'd love to play this game, but I think... And like Danny said, this is a big if. If it can hit this, it's not delayed to holiday or, you know, 2018. Like, we need to assume that this is kind of the last and final delay for Zelda. I could. But I was
0: going to predict that you were going to say this is a holiday release, if anything.
1: Well, <laughs> I think I've said that already. I think I'm on record on, on our crazy predictions. I think I might have said that. So I'll let that one stand. But right now, I'm going to take the information I have and, and hope that it's true. And I think I agree with, you know, your silver lining, Jeff, and what Denny was saying, where this Switch is going to launch in March, it's going to be hard to find, it's going to sell out, whether Nintendo purposely is constraining supplies, or they just kind of are very conservative in their business strategy, which is the way I I tend to lean. And Nintendo fans are going to rush out and buy it, the hardcore are going to be there, you know, I'll line up, I'll, I'll be part of that, I'm excited about new Nintendo hardware. And then if, Zelda can come out. I would even give it to like June, like beginning of summer. Then that's another huge bump. Uh, kids are getting on, going on summer break. Now there's a new Nintendo console that has like one or two cool experiences on it. They've hopefully proven out the the Switch use case for taking the screen with you. And then a Zelda drops. That's going to be huge. And then if they have something planned for the holiday. Oh, my God. Right now, Nintendo has just dominated an entire year moving hardware all year long. I know those are some big ifs, but based on the information we have, I think it's possible that Nintendo could have a huge 2017.
0: There's a big article in Forbes uh, where the uh, author suggests that Nintendo should delay the release of Switch to have an actual killer app. Uh, And, you know, we don't know. We'll, We'll find out more in January what the launch lineup is going to look more like. Cause we really don't know anything about what kind of titles are going to be on this thing um, when it's launched or, or any time after the only really the only title we know for sure that is going to be on it is legend of Zelda. Uh, <laughs> and um, how crazy is it that if this thing doesn't release until uh, after, you know, well after switch has launched there will have been an entire lost generation of Nintendo the Wii U generation will have come and officially died out before a Zelda, an actual Zelda, was released on that that console.
1: Well, that happened on the GameCube too. The GameCube version of Twilight Princess did not come out until a couple of months. Yeah, after but you had Wind Revolution. Waker, bro. Right. Oh, that's true. Well, yeah. yeah. Good. Fair. Fair. Fair point. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. My would... my
2: my line on the Switch since we saw that launch trailer was that. I'm gonna be in line to buy it on day one and I'm gonna probably buy every piece of software they put out for it, but I'm probably just gonna make fun of Nintendo the whole way because it's gonna be I feel like it's gonna be one thing after another. But who's of really nin- getting of <laughs> <laughs> that's fair <laughs> you, you can't be a my wallet will be empty <laughs> with everything they release i'm not
1: gonna be happy about it you can't be camping in front of best buy at 2 a.m like cold and shivering because it's a late winter and spring hasn't come yet and you can't be like huh, nintendo's a bunch of idiots <laughs>
0: <laughs> <laughs> well it's it is weird that i mean i guess the idea of a march release that they're sticking to for the console it gets gets it out before the end of their Uh, fiscal year. Right. So, or quarter, I should say, um, which is important for shareholders and the health of the company, I suppose. But, uh, there really isn't anything that makes a March release more, you know, beneficial sales wise than, than, a April or a June release. So, you know, I don't know. It's going to be interesting to see, I guess. Well, again, no more in January, but, uh, I, the other way around, I think, would have been worse. The other way around being that the the console comes out three months after the game. Uh, I think at least this way they potentially they have, have that. No too. way that would do that. Well, that's what happened with Twilight Princess, right? That's no, exactly re- what happened. We the Wii version of Twilight Princess came out what like a month or two weeks or something after the the GameCube version.
1: No, 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 no. The, the GameCube version came out later. Yeah. That, yeah, they would never release the Wii U version of this anticipated title before their console came out. No ah,
0: I misremembered that. All right. Uh, Christian, what's your story of the week?
1: Uh, that Jeff and I are both 0 for 1 uh, on this week's episode of DLC, I think is my story of the <laughs> week. it again! <laughs> well, I'll keep the Nintendo uh, train rolling along, and the other, the other rumor... Um, multiple sources. I I feel bigly about this one. We're in the the world of feelings. Mm -hmm. Um... a a version of pokemon sun and moon is coming to nintendo switch kind of the rumor is now that it's going to be pokemon stars which is kind of you know pokemon certainly has um a history of doing that where they have the main versions of the game and then the updated um a few more pokemon i feel like it's like the greatest hit album that a band puts out when it's like plus two new original songs and you're like son of a I gotta buy that really really incubus in the early 2000s you're gonna release the Japanese formerly exclusive elevator only on the scream soundtrack fine my facts might be wrong but those are my feelings Um, I think that could be huge especially if it's a launch game because they need one now right like that could be big well it
0: seems to indicate that it won't be a launch game that it'd be uh, summer 2017 that could Um, be a launch game but it's (laughs) evidently been pushed back even farther than that so, uh, yeah, I mean, uh, Denny, you are our resident Pokemon enthusiast and we're going to talk a little sun and moon during our playlist segment, but, uh, this, would this be a cool thing for switch to get?
2: Oh yeah. I mean, this would be giant, especially, I think that all they've been waiting for is a Nintendo console that is actually portable. And if all of the switch tech works the way it's supposed to, then it seems like it would be crazy to not have a full Pokemon uh release with the console within the first year. I would I think that just about everyone who loves Pokémon would buy this game and they may even be able to reach that part of that mobile Pokémon Go market, people who aren't exactly gamers enough to own a 3DS but could be sold on a cool new console where they can play Mario and Pokémon.
0: Well, isn't this kind of proof of that that um upside that I have been talking about, and I and others, I'm not the only one, but a lot of people were talking about with uh, the fact that, you know, Switch represents a convergence of the two sides of Nintendo. You know, if, if you're getting a, a, you know, mainline Pokemon game on Switch, it kind of shows that there isn't a separation of church and state between the mobile game developers and the home console game developers. It's all together now, And you know this is the first time we'll have like a full-on Pokemon game on a console that Nintendo makes that plugs into your television, right?
2: Yeah, absolutely. I think that at least I don't know if other shoppers are thinking this way, but this winter, like all Nintendo gamers, I was ready to buy another new 3DS (laughs)
3: because they're cheap now, right? (laughs) Right.
2: But then I was thinking, you know, they still haven't come out and this and specifically said what the future plans are for the 3DS and i think there's always going to be a 3DS in one form or another but i'm really hoping that the switch will be able to do almost everything the 3DS can do and come out with enough of the same hardware that it can kind of be that you can just own the switch
0: yeah yeah i i'd be surprised if they come out and officially say oh by the way 3DS is dead uh right. moving on but um you know who knows it's uh it's it's going to be interesting time all this well, nintendo I, speculation is fun
1: yeah, and I, I don't know, I mean, it could be a huge, if, if they're able to do it, right? If this thing comes out, and then Zelda comes out, and then let's say, okay, it has been delayed, Pokemon Stars, I'll just use that working title, you know, it comes out, let's say it's their holiday release, that's still a heck of a year, a heck of a year for Nintendo, launch with something, anything, anything, it could be a Splatoon port, right, anything, and then Zelda in the summer, and then a, a mainline Pokemon for console in, in the holiday, that's crazy.
2: Yeah, that would be a bigger year than the Wii U ever had, for sure.
0: I honestly think that, you know, we've been talking about um, launch titles and what a killer app and all that stuff would mean for Switch. And all of that is important. I'm not saying it isn't. But I think the killer app for the Nintendo Switch is $199 or $250. (laughs) The, The killer app is, it's not $400, you know, like that. And if those rumors are the ones that are true... It doesn't even need software. It needs Nintendo on the box and a low price point. And I think it, 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 you literally will not be able to get them. You know, you will be doing somersaults on the internet trying to find them. Um, and all of the software stuff is secondary. And that becomes like, okay, vibrancy, life, you know, longevity of the console is what are the, you know, what are the software support of this thing? That's my that's my take my hot take hot take, <laughs> um, and everybody in the chat is is uh, talking about this uh, too. Um, a lot of speculation on battery life. I think that's going to be a big thing. I wonder if they're going to talk about that in January. If we're really going to get details like that, because um, that's um, that's that's a big deal too. All right, guys. Uh, my story of the week is an interesting one. Um, I think this. Uh, indi- so. Ubisoft project, uh, lead or chief creative officer, Sergei Hasko.
2: <laughs> I
0: think that's it. Yeah. I'm pretty <laughs> sure that's how you pronounce it. If you say it high pitched, it's definitely, <laughs> right.
3: uh,
0: these guys have French names that are hard for me to pronounce as an American. I apologize. But, um, in interview with, um, talking about the next assassin's creed. So we know that the assassin's creed has been a yearly updated title Uh, And this last year, they took a year off. They decided to go back and kind of uh, stop iterating so quickly and really change up the franchise's rhythm, if nothing else. And now we're getting more indication of what the new take on Assassin's Creed is going to be. And for me, this is fascinating. So evidently, Ubisoft as an entire company, their internal plan is to change the way they design games and make them less story. Uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Uh, less dictating a story to you, rather than you making your own story within the context of the game world. So they're
1: it tapped into your dreams, dude. Like this yes. is.
0: So they're they're using the phrase anecdote factory, which is something that they were using uh, as far back as 2014, talking about um, uh, Far Cry 4. Uh, but the idea here is that no longer in an Assassin's Creed game will you do a mission and then watch a cutscene, and then do another mission, and then watch a cutscene, and step through this narrative in a very linear way, or even non-linear. You can choose which mission to do next. But once the mission starts, it is a linear narrative process. Instead, what they're talking about is allowing the gamer inside the mechanisms of the game world To craft their own story, much more like the Bethesda approach or something like Minecraft, not necessarily being creative in building things like Minecraft, but just having systems that allow you to explore exactly what I wanted out of an Assassin's Creed. I'm the guy who said, just give me the world you made and let me be a tourist. That's exactly what they're talking about. Um, Here's the exact quote. From the guy whose name I can't pronounce well. He says, I don't want the player to go through a story created by someone. We have games like that still, but I ask more and more that we let the player write their own story, that they set themselves a long term goal, identify the opportunities that are open to them, and choose not to follow a path that was decided for them. He says that non interactive cutscenes and cinematics annoy him because they take away his ability to express
2: this is great, right? What do you think, Denny? Oh, I'm, (laughs) it could be great or it also terrifies me a little bit. Um, so I'm one of these people, I feel like Christians this way a little bit as well, that there's such a thing as a game that's too open for me. Um, and some, some open world games that give just a little bit too much freedom. It's really easy for me to fall off the path because there isn't really a path, you know, and then, Get distracted, do side quests for maybe 10 hours, and then just never finish the game because there isn't that core narrative that's pulling me through it. Um, so it's tough though, because a game like World of Warcraft is my favorite game of all time. And that game, you know, it's total freedom. You can go anywhere, do anything. So when done correctly, those are my favorite games, but it's a really, really tough balance if they can pull it off and the assassin's creed world seems like a great place to try it then i think yeah it could be my favorite installment in the franchise and my new favorite game but if it goes just a little bit too open and i don't have those compelling characters that i want to see what happens to them i want to make sure they're okay then i don't know it could have the opposite effect and make me not want to play the game anymore because i just get distracted playing cards at a table for five hours yeah uh
0: in the chat, uh, nails it. He says, Tourist Simulator 2017, please make it VR. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Christian, this sounds like your your worst nightmare. It,
1: it, I would give it a shot for sure. And while I am known to love narrative-based, story-driven, especially third-person action games, uh, um, I think this is exactly the right move for Assassin's Creed, which I know is, a, you know, not I'm like, hey, make a game that I probably won't like. But I feel like Assassin's Creed, they came out and they've done the narrative based um, open world game for a very, very long time now. And they had some great success with it. They also had some pretty big failures with it. You know, they changed protagonists a couple of times. They had some that people hated, some that people liked. They did the wink and a nod hey, it's a game within a game. They got rid of the whole, you know, current modern day or future aspect of it and were like, just go play, but there's still a story. And I think this is the type of risk that I would love to see more AAA franchises making. It's like God of War when Sony came out and they're like, "Hey, you know that game you love so much? Well, uh it's the same name, but might not be that game anymore, but you got to you got to evolve these series, these franchises that have been around for forever." And I think for Assassin's Creed to be doing this is is awesome and it's exciting. And I also think it's something that Ubisoft can do fairly safely because they have enough other franchises that hopefully scratch that itch for players that want the story slash open world game. And, you know, maybe this is a thing going forward. But as it is right now, they have um, the Tom Clancy game coming out. The Division is still going strong. Um, You know, we don't know what the next Far Cry is going to be. Watch Dogs 2. So they still have those games. But for them to do something bold like this with Assassin's Creed, I think I understand being a little upset if you're a huge Assassin's Creed fan, but I think for the rest of us, it's uh it's pretty exciting. I mean, Jeff, this is, this is your game. This
0: is my game. And I also think this is something I've been saying for a while now is I think this is what young gamers are just going to expect. I think that, uh, you know, uh, Casey Asante in the, in the chat said, um, I call me old school. I love a beginning, middle and end. I honestly think that is old school. I really do. I think that, Kids who have grown up with Minecraft expect something different from video games. Kids that have grown up on Twitch channels and um, um, are are watching Minecraft or watching these these kinds of games that allow you to express yourself. And that expression and improvisation and um, uh, imagination within the game world is paramount. I think that's what they are going to want from video games. That's what they're going to expect video games to be. A game like Uncharted or something where you start a story and go through the whole thing. I think those games are always going to have a place, but they're going to feel less and less exciting and interesting to, I think, an entire generation of kids that have grown up expecting worlds to be infinitely expressive. And, uh, you know, it's like if you play Lego for long enough you know uh, other toys seem stayed and uninteresting in comparison because you can't express yourself with them i think that's where these games are going to go and the question for me is how far are they going to push this idea are they just doing lip service to it is it just going to be you know pick which you know thing you do next or pick how there's like four ways to go through a mission we're seeing a little of that with Dishonored 2, right? I think a lot of the fun of Dishonored 2 are all these people that are posting really cool videos online of these amazing skills that they can develop in the in the game mechanics and how they can express themselves within the context of the game world but that game world i mean that game has it both ways right it also has the cutscenes and narrative uh, linearity that you're seeing from traditional assassin's creed so where does this next assassin's creed sit on that spectrum how far do they push it that's the real like how bold are they going to be
1: what I see them aiming for, and this is very ambitious, but and no spoilers for the show, but I see them aiming for what Westworld is described to be, where it's this world where there are these characters that are sometimes on a loop that are just trying to pull you to go on some amazing quest, right? And then you can choose to go on those quests, or you can just run around or do whatever, and the world is populated with 10 targets you need to assassinate, and then all these other side quests are these NPCs that are kind of milling about this world. You're describing doing- Skyrim. And fallout yes, uh slightly no only in the sense that I think Assassin's Creed will try to be denser and I think uh, and assassin's Creed is- and
0: Skyrim and Fallout those are pretty dense games
1: um I'm sorry let me uh, not it won't be an island it'll be a city okay. So denser in the terms of like no no fallout city, I think, would be as densely populated as uh, they would want to make an Assassin's Creed city where you're weaving in and out of crowds. But that's kind of your whole world. You're not going to get in a boat and then sail to another um, baseball stadium that's turned into a city kind of thing. And uh, Skyrim does do that stuff. And I think it's able to do it some because it's not quite as densely populated. So when you leave an area, those NPC characters aren't still going about their day. You know what I mean? Like yeah. it's not they're right. not asleep now and whatever. And if they're able to knock this out of the park with Assassin's Creed, I think I think it could be huge. Danny, I mean, will you convert with me? Will you give this game a shot?
2: Oh yeah. And if it if it is closer to that Bethesda model, those games still work fine for me. You know, there are a million side quests to do, but at least there is a strong core narrative that is interesting. And you know what most people get out of the game? It doesn't really have anything to do with that core narrative, but as long as that's there, and you know, there can be branching storylines and I could decide to align with this faction or that faction. That's all fine. As long as there's something there at the center, pulling me through, that's all it really takes.
0: The question for me, the, the thing that would make me fall in love with this assassin's creed concept is if it's all of that is happening, but also if I reveal myself, I'm not instantly chased by a thousand uh, guards. You know, like, I, I want to be able to like, that's one of the bummers about dishonored for me is yeah, it's fun to be awesome and jump around and kill people without them knowing and discover things and explore and, and use those mechanics. But I can't just walk down the street if I want to, <laughs> you know? I I would like to have a little bit more leeway in not having to constantly be worried about, Yeet! you know what I mean?
1: You've been spotted! I think Metal Gear did that. Metal Gear 5, I think, did that pretty well. And it was like a, an anomaly in terms of, I would call it, I'm sure there's a better term for it, but in my head right now, it was like an instanced open world game. And I think they did a pretty good job of letting you run away and and hide again and and get out of hot situations unless, you know, you found yourself in the basement of a five story building and then got caught. But then I feel like that's what would happen is, crap, you're in a basement of a five story building and they're going to radio everyone to come get you. So, you know, guns blazing. I think there's a way to do it. I don't know which way Assassin's Creed will go. I also think it depends on how much they lean into you're in the game world. Because if you're in the Matrix and you're spotted, every agent knows you're there, right? So I think they could justify that in their world in a way, but I don't know.
0: Uh, I want to do another story. Of course you do. Actually (laughs) uh this is actually submitted by a uh, listener. This was sent to dlcfeedback at gmail.com. Uh Jack Gallagher sent this in. Uh here's his email says uh hey guys love the show long time first time and all that. Here's a question for you. What do you think Uh, What do you guys think of the nominees of Game of the Year for Jeff Keighley's Game Awards? I find it particularly upsetting that in a superb year for games, that four of the five games nominated are violent AAA action games. Are these really the games we want to champion to the world as the best interactive entertainment had to offer this year? I know Uncharted is narrative-focused and Overwatch is colorful and playful, but the primary way of interacting with those worlds is violence. Games often get a bad rap, and rightly so, as the heaviest marketed are adolescent violent power fantasies. But I feel like these award shows are a chance to change that perception. They offer a chance to show the world what's attainable with interactive entertainment and how far we've come as a medium. Imagine if the majority of the Oscar Best Picture awards were for superhero movies. Would we be okay with that? For the record, my game of the year is The Witness. Love the show. Keep up the good work. Jack brings up a really interesting point. I know it can frustrate people when we start talking about, oh, games are so violent. I know we all love violent games. We all have a great time shooting stuff. That is not in question. No one's coming to take away your shooting games. Don't worry. I think this is, though, a very valid uh, point of discussion. And uh, just for context, the Game of the Year nominees for uh, the the Game Awards uh, that are happening, what, a couple weeks from now in December are Doom, Inside, Overwatch titanfall 2 and uncharted 4 now that's the game of the year now there's a lot of subcategories and a lot of other categories that a lot of different kinds of games uh are represented in but that's like the you know best picture that's the that's the the preeminent one so what's your take on this denny
2: yeah i think that we have to start out by saying that 2016 has been an uncharacteristically great year for violent video games (laughs) and (laughs) You know what I mean? Like, uh, Titanfall 2, Doom, Battlefield 1 is even on this list, uh, Uncharted's a shooter as well. You know, all these games are fantastic. And I, I definitely don't think that we should disqualify any games from being on the list because they are violent. But that said, my top five would include a few more nonviolent games. You know, I think a game like The Witness, as mentioned in the email, is in my top games of the year. Firewatch is maybe my game of the year already. I just can't get enough of that game. Um, Ratchet and Clank is pretty high on my list. So even though it's a year full of great first person shooters and great violent action games, there's definitely other great games out there that are non-violent, And I could definitely see an argument that um, this is a good chance to show, showcase some of those games.
0: Yeah. If you look at another category for the Game Awards, best independent game, you've got The Witness, Firewatch, Stardew Valley, And then Inside and Hyper Light Drifter. And uh, Hyper Light Drifter, you know, is action-y, you know, swords and shooting stuff. Inside is very violent. Uh, I don't think your character uh, commits any violence, though, unless you—well, ish. I mean, that's debatable.
1: Your character commits a lot of violence in Inside. A
0: lot of violence. Okay, fair enough. Uh, But three out of the five of those independent games— Are completely nonviolent games. I mean, a hundred percent. So that's an interesting thing, right? So the independent game category is where this all lives. And none of those creeped their way into game of the year, which is a little, well, I guess inside did, but that's the violent one. Um,
1: But would you consider any of those other indie games, your game of the year, Jeff? Do any of those? uh, I mean, I'm not saying I, I, I I think you and I are on record saying that we, of course, support this idea. And maybe it's frustrating when year after year after year you keep seeing you know these AAA violent games making this list. But I would argue that this list, you know, sweeps the floor with those um, Stardew Valley. It's like it's fine. It's a remarkable achievement made by an indie team, but whatever. But it's like these other games, man, the uh, one, I also think 2016 is maybe the best year of video games ever. So (laughs) it's hard to do, but like firewatch was great, but it's come on, come on.
2: I know that's what, what, yeah. Top five, top five is tough. That's why I wouldn't give them too much of a hard time. You know, it, it was just a year with a ton of fantastic games.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, honestly, the thing that I have the most problem with on this list is the best VR game category which is just its just a Travis Sham mockery. I mean, the, the games are, uh, that are on the list are all great, but it ignores so many great games, uh, so many great VR games. And it's, it seems like best VR game is like, hey, are they all on uh, PSVR? Then, okay, well, then they can make the list. And they've ignored an incredible experience. Um,
1: so it's- The Game Awards are a wonderful thing, and they're also a very easy lightning rod for all of the things they do wrong. But then again- Well, any awards show. Jeff is out there doing it, himself. So it's kind of like we're not doing that. Right. I'm not I'm not setting up this production and getting all this money and putting my my uh livelihood on the line to make this thing happen and to the Jack's point about would I love to see the comic book movies be nominated for best picture? Yeah. I would love to see comic book movies nominated for best picture. The Academy expanded best picture to to include up to 10 pictures because they wanted to get more mainstream hits. His point I'd love was to see horror
0: movies only, included. Only only comic book movies. Oh, well. That's his point.
1: Sure. Okay, I'm on board.
0: I guess I don't know <laughs> if you could do ten, but I, I mean, I mean, Doctor I, Strange can't win every award, Christian. Come on.
1: But do we do we include Disney movies? Like, do those sneak in? Are those right? Like, kinda but kinda I,
2: yeah, maybe a better example instead of Would you like to see all superhero movies? Is Would you like to see all? world war ii movies nominated for for best picture just I mean, 10 world war ii movies you know maybe
1: that's pretty i mean <laughs> we get uh we get uh tom hanks being a sneaky spy we get brad pitt being a sneaky spy who else gets to be sneaky spies in world war ii that sounds pretty good to me
2: <laughs> yeah that's true spider-man gets to be a sneaky spy in World War II. spider-man yeah, well, finally captain Spider-Man.
0: america <laughs> that's why we got the rights back to spider-man see is so we can make him a sneaky spy in world war ii
1: <laughs> i mean i get i get jack's point and i'm empathetic with it um I, I i don't i don't have the answer i think the hard part about video games is the interaction is often violent i think it's kind of unfair it's like overwatch yeah the way you're interacting is violent but so is football uh i don't, I don't know i don't i don't
0: <laughs> so is football and we give that game of the year every year america <laughs> well, i'm just saying like <laughs> just like all right all right let's move on Uh, we do have a lot of games to talk about. So I just thought it was a provocative, interesting email and I appreciate it. And again, you can send emails to dlcfeedback at gmail.com. But now it's time for the playlist. But first we do have to thank our sponsor Linode. Linode is a hosting company offering high-performance Linux servers for all of your infrastructure needs. Linode has it all. Lightning quick servers in the cloud, a super fast 40 GPS network, automated backups, node balancers, managed services, guides with step-by-step instructions, a simple but powerful control panel, 99.9% uptime, 24-7 support experts, and all of the tools you need to get the job done right the first time. And now, Linode offers 2 gigabytes of RAM for only 10 bucks a month. Over 400,000 subscribers trust Linode, including 5x5. All of 5x5's infrastructure is happily hosted on Linode. And getting started is easy. Just pick a plan, choose your favorite Linux distro, and pick from one of eight data centers in America, Europe, and Asia. All you gotta do is visit linodecom five x five today to support the show and use promo code 5x5. Get yourself $10 of credit. Linode, simple, powerful, reliable. Ooh, it's a play in the- A lot of fun games out right now it's wait. a really exciting
1: time of year wait what wait wait i need to say that i appreciate jack's email more than you appreciated it and i also need to say the email says imagine if the majority of the oscars best picture awards were for were for superhero movies not all of them the well, but majority of them
0: you understand what he's saying. It's not like, oh, hey, there's 10 films out, so we can throw a couple of uh, superhero movies into the mix, which is what you were saying. I'm saying, he's saying it's dominant, which is the, uh, which is the metaphor here. It's the, what if, similarly to how the Game of the Year awards in, in video games are dominated by very one specific kind of game, what if it was also dominated
1: in that way? That's and what he was saying. I, and I love that email, and I think it's interesting because the movie discussion— <laughs> <laughs> I, I love the email because the movie discussion is the exact opposite, which is the point I was trying to make about them expanding the Oscars to ten. Thing is that people look at the Oscars and they say it is just these same ten artsy fartsy movies or these same five artsy fartsy movies shouldn't we include some of these amazing things that everybody loves and goes sees instead of these movies that no one goes to see in theaters. And they are like, we should. And so it's like, we're on opposite ends of the spectrum in terms of inclusion. And I think well, that, that is
0: interesting. In, a, in a video games, we literally have a carved out category for artsy fartsy. It's like, Hey, we got an artsy fartsy section. If imagine if, uh, Oscars were like okay, and best picture is these, and best actiony waste your time picture is these ones.
2: Yeah, then you're just watching the MTV awards. <laughs>
0: exactly, exactly. Anyway, we moved on, Christian. I we really moved appreciate on. the email, though. Um, let's talk about Watch Dogs 2. I haven't played it. You haven't played it, but thankfully we have somebody on the show who has played it, Denny. <laughs> yeah, Watch Dogs 2 ma- massive release.
2: I have no interest in playing it. Should I be? <laughs> According to the uh, pre-order sales and the early numbers, you're in the majority in that case. <laughs> it, it is not crushing it. But but yeah, so um, I've been playing Watch Dogs 2 a lot for the last two weeks. And I have to say that in the first hour or so of the game, I was not feeling it. Um, and it kind of, I got into it and, you know, it's open world. It kind of feels just a little bit too much like grand theft auto 5 early on you know i'm like i just played a better version of this game a year and a half ago i don't think i'm quite ready to go back there yet um but once the game once you power up a little bit and unlock a few of the uh drones and hacking abilities it really really started to work for me and it got to the point where i was all in and i was playing for like hours every night which is really cool cuz i was not on board with the first watch dogs at all uh what I think part of what takes this game to the next level compared to the first one is the uh and you have two drones this time around. So one is a little RV that you can you can uh send you can get down, bust out your laptop and send an RV out to go scope things out and your R V can hack things just the same way that you can. So it can sneak around, set off traps, you know, shock people with their phones. And once you earn enough money, which doesn't take very long, you can also 3D print, because you 3D print everything in this game, <laughs> um, you can 3D print a quadcopter, so like a flying drone that acts just like the other drone, except that you can go even crazier places with it. So it really makes the stealth side of the game work for me. And that's I think that that's what was not working early on, was that... The shooting is kind of only okay. That side of the game isn't very exciting. But once you embrace the sneakiness and try to hack your way through every mission, then the game is a ton of fun and you start to feel like, it's almost like a superhero game, the way that you can just hack everything in sight. You know, you're driving a car and you want to get a cop to stop following you. So you set off this crazy water main break that blocks the road and shuts down the bridge and no one can follow. It really gives you a cool sense of, power in kind of a cartoony way. Um, the spaces where the game stumbles a little bit is whenever it tries to take itself too seriously. In my opinion, I think that this, uh, hacking world, this guy, the, you're playing in these, uh, black hats, which it's weird to talk about, you know, white hat and black black hack going back and forth with Westworld and Watchdogs dogs too. Um, right. <laughs> two different, two different versions of those, of those. Um, but I think that their the cast is very entertaining and their kind of demeanor and approach to hacking works way better when it's being silly and you're, you know, these underdogs taking on the man and kind of like embarrassing them by um, airing their dirty laundry. But then when the game starts to like, no spoilers, but you know, people get hurt and things get serious. I think that it stumbles a little bit because... It's not exactly that it didn't earn those dramatic moments, but they just feel so out of place compared to how silly the rest of the game is.
0: One of the things that I was reading about uh, in in some of the early reviews that came out that actually made me feel like I might enjoy the game is that uh, people seem to indicate that it's taken steps to remove that sort of uh, constant flood of things you have to do that aren't particularly interesting that the missions themselves are more streamlined and each of the missions is, is interesting rather than, you know, uh, some busy work that you have to do where you're, you know, asked to collect 48 feathers or, you know, whatever it is. Yeah. Granted, I understand that's a hypocrisy talking from a guy who plays a lot of wow, but still, those are the, the reasons that, uh, Assassin's Creed games and the first watchdogs just felt less fun for me is that most of the things I was asked to do just, I didn't want to.
2: Right. It does not. Yeah. They made some serious improvements on that. And if you do every side quest and every online mission, then yeah, there are going to be some parts that start to feel repetitive. But if you're playing through the main objectives, the game never started to feel repetitive to me at all. And it's not like you get underpowered at some point and need to go do 50 side quests to earn the experience points to level up to go back to the main quest the way you might need to. in something like, wow, you know, mm-hmm. um, so that was a major improvement. The game doesn't feel repetitive at all. Each part of the main mission, I felt. I mean, you're always going somewhere and hacking it, kind of. But each setup and each action set piece is kind of unique enough that it doesn't feel stale at all.
0: Christian, are you excited to play this? Do you want to play this game?
1: I do want to play it. I have it. Uh, I think I've mentioned it before on this show. I, you know, I don't. Uh, I buy my games or rent my games. I would say ninety nine point nine percent of the time. In the, uh, I survive the holiday season with Gamefly, which is usually pretty good to me. But I, I they said they shipped this game like Monday, and I still don't have it. So I'm a sad, sad panda. I thought I would have been playing it and be able to talk about it for this show. I listened to uh, Austin Walker talk about it on um, like Waypoint Radio, I think is the name of their show now, the Vice Gaming Podcast. And like that got me so stoked to play it. And then we were over at Carboni's house not too long ago. I got there a little early, and he was showing it off on his PS4 Pro. And he was raving about how much fun he was having with the game. I think he tweeted that the first hour of Watch Dogs 2 was more fun than he had with all of the first Watch Dogs. And the game looked gorgeous. And I like kind of the aesthetic of what they've done with the city. And he was telling me it's a pretty accurate San Francisco, which gets me excited. So hopefully it shows up today. And maybe like next week I'll be like, oh, here's more Watch Dogs. I think it's hard to nail that... uh, and I don't know where the narrative goes, but that idea of like the narrative is maybe fun, but then you're also Grand Theft Autoing, <laughs> and right. it's like, go hack this, and we're good guys. Get out of my way! Get out of my! I'm running over ten people to go silently rob this guy and give it to the poor people. I'm gonna kill you if you don't get out of my way. Well, also uh, like you
0: have
2: a rocket launcher, right?
1: A three D printed one though, sorry. Right, cool. obviously. Yeah.
2: <laughs> yeah, it feels a little bad sneaking into, you know, the place that is clearly supposed to be Google and murdering security guards. It just <laughs> it just feels mean, you know?
1: Yeah, I don't. I mean, I'm excited about it. I This, uh, you know, the Ubisoft games, I feel like they oftentimes get me very excited for the first four hours. And then I start to run cold on them as either the narrative switches or it starts to become that repetition thing that you were talking about, Jeff. But from what I've seen and heard about Watch Dogs 2 and I think even Danny's review at uh, you reviewed it for GameRant, right? Is that correct?
2: Yeah, yeah, and I reviewed it on PlayStation 4.
1: Yeah, and even that got me excited. I was reading it, you know, this morning, and uh, I think there's a lot to like in the game, but I I do agree with him that it seems like not a lot of people are playing it. You know, you don't see it flying off shelves, at least the early reports are that this is not uh, not selling well at all.
2: Right, and Ubisoft kind of came out ahead of that and said we, after the pre-order sales didn't look great, they said, you know, we want this to have word of mouth and we hope people read the positive reviews and go check it out, so hopefully you know, that works. I, I would, I, I would definitely recommend at least renting it and seeing if it's your kind of thing. I, it's an easy recommendation for me. Hmm. I, I really
0: can't motivate myself to play this game. I, I, I apologize. I know it's my job to <laughs> play these types of games, but man, there's so many other things, so many of the good stuff out right now. Um, it just doesn't look like my jam at all.
1: I just thought for sure, I'd lure you in with San Francisco and that you had yeah. enough fun with the division, which I know this doesn't have the, um, Dark World. Dark World? What is it? Whatever it's called. That aspect of it. I love The
0: Division. Division's great. But Division's like a pure shooter. It's just a pure fun loot shooter. You know, I love loot games. Yeah.
2: Yeah. Good point.
0: This is not that, right? This is... Uh... Right.
2: No, there's none of that, really. Yeah.
0: And I don't know. It gives me kind of flashbacks a little bit to Sunset Overdrive of... The, you know, like hanging out with the weirdos in the place and the forced humor and like, I don't know. It just felt feels like even narratively, it feels like it's going to be tedious, but people have said it's, it's well-written. So I, if you you want to combine to shove me into my locker, cool kid, you can do that. That makes you feel better. (laughs) No, no, no. I don't mean, I don't mean weirdos in the sense of, I mean, I'm one of those, but I'm saying like the, I guess I didn't articulate that well. What I mean to say is that the humor comes from how weird we all are and you know let's mess with the man and i don't know i just it i didn't enjoy that in sunset overdrive and it feels similar
2: right i think that this one is a little more endearing the the characters there is like one or two characters who you're like yeah they're a little too quirky but it's a lot of like pop culture love and tech love and they're just nerdy kids who happen to grow up to be hackers but it's it has that kind of like they're like all kind of hipsters and throwback to the eighties. I think that you might appreciate the humor a little bit more than you would in something like sunset overdrive. Oh man,
1: all this. Don't worry about it. I'll be back next week. Hopefully spending some serious time with it. It was Austin Walker's talk of like those characterizations that got me excited about it. He seemed pretty high on it and I, I like his character stuff.
0: Maybe I'll play through the, campaign for call of duty. Cause I kind of feel like I should do that.
1: Oh, it's so good. Oh, the end of that is so, Oh, spoiler alert. Uh, next no, don't week, spoil anything. not spoiling the game. It looks like on next, uh, maybe two weeks from now, but I, uh, I have arranged a Thanksgiving break is, uh, making it harder, but, uh, I'm going to have some bonus content with, uh, some of the fine people over at infinity ward. We're going to talk a uh, deeper dive into, uh, infinite warfare. Look at you. Yeah.
0: with your motivation.
1: I know. Right. Weird. Yeah. <laughs> um,
0: Let's talk about Pokemon, because uh, another game I'm not going to play. <laughs> but both of you guys are playing a little, uh little sun and moons, little suns and moons. Hey, Danny, yeah, yeah, you go I first
1: because you're deep, man. You you bleed okay. it, right?
2: Yeah, yeah. I I went moon. Which way did you go?
1: I went sun uh, we'll because I'm like that train. lion guy that I'm never going to get.
2: <laughs> right. Um. Yeah. So I'm about it's I'm about twenty hours in. Um and with that said i have done very little (laughs) um (laughs) because it's that kind of game i've just been out grinding and powering up my squad but so pokemon sun and moon is a very cool throwback to the original pokemon game i think uh to you know red and blue it it has some new mechanics and it actually gets rid of some things that uh kind of franchise longtime fans will be surprised by but so it changes up the mechanics a little bit but there's all all kinds of cool moments that kind of make you think about the original games and lots of references to the original the original 150 you know um and it's just a ton of fun but it's there's only so much you can say about a pokemon game kind of you know it the mechanics of the uh combat are all exactly the same pretty much you know you get your squad you level them up you have the turn-based fighting and you work through the new zone which is hawaiian inspired it's the alola region and it is very very cool very beautiful you have a couple different islands that you can kind of work through so instead of fighting through gyms and earning badges you're kind of uh have to go through trials on each of these islands and then once you go through like seven trials or something like that you get to finish that island and go to the next one so I'm loving it. I think that I'll play it into the ground like I do most of these Pokemon games. But if you've played a Pokemon game in the past, you probably know what you're getting in for when you pick this one up. Yeah.
1: So yeah, I'm uh uh this week's uh, at least twenty more minutes is going to be about missing the boat and things that maybe you just weren't quite on the zeitgeist of. Um, and talking about personal experiences for me. Um, but with Pokemon is certainly one of those things. And before I kind of get into my experience with it, Jeff, I'm curious. You're not anti-Pokemon. I know you're no Nicole Z, but, like, I feel like you talked about being excited about playing the new Zelda on the Switch and being able to take the tablet with you anywhere and just grinding out for a little bit and going and collect some mushrooms and doing this and that and the other. And I feel like you love RPGs, you love turn-based battle systems, Mm -hmm. and you love going out and... and I was going to say you love going out and grinding, which just sounds funny when I said it. Uh, I'm on grinder, always constantly on grinder. <laughs> You're always grinding mm-hmm. at the club or online. Uh, I don't get why this isn't for you. Is it too cute? Is that what the, you don't like about it? I
0: missed, you said missed the boat. I missed the whole Pokemon thing somehow. I, I, I never was in my wheelhouse ever. Um, and so I feel disconnected to that entire universe. It's a little bit like Doctor Who for me. Like, I missed it. I can't. If everyone's like, "Well, just go back and here's where you start, and here's where you watch," and it's like, "Nah, I'm sorry, I missed it. I can't. It, I can't make up for all those years when everybody was talking about it, and me getting into it now. It's just not going to happen." It's, and that's how I feel about Pokemon.
1: It, huh. I mean, I'm the same way. I, I missed it, and I jumped in. I think what sold me on this one was, you know, reading impressions that people had, where you don't have to memorize what counters what anyway anymore yeah, the is. way you used to.
2: That is a fantastic addition. You don't have to memorize the rock, paper, scissor. It's there in the battle menu. It'll tell you if an attack is, you know, effective, not very effective, super effective. You can just purge all that information out of your brain and make room for something else.
0: Yeah. And I, I like... Here's what I feel. I'm, I'm, I'm Go kind ahead. I'm just um, coming to this now. But I dabbled with Pokemon Go. We talked about it. In fact, we talked about it last time Denny was on. But um, even with that game, there was something... As much as I enjoyed the novelty of it, and it was, it was, it, it's cool. There's nothing not cool about it. But when a Pokemon would come up, I constantly felt, and this may not even be accurate, but I constantly felt like everybody else was like, oh, uh, Fliberty Gibbet or whatever they're called. And, you know, and it sounds like, sound like such an old guy, but <laughs> I had no context. I didn't know if that was a good or a bad. I mean, they had a number by them, so I could tell how rare or not rare they were. But, I felt like there was this layer of context for what is a cool Pokemon and what is not a cool Pokemon that I didn't have and only came from that those years of investment that I just don't have. And that's never – I'm not going to get there. And so I kind of felt like, well, this isn't for me because there's this inside joke or inside uh, information that everybody is trading on that I don't have.
1: Do you know what's also cool though? forming your own opinion and coming into something new like you weren't uh, I it all the time don't say I know it. you do that's what i'm saying you like you, you you kind of disprove your own point like you got into heroes of the storm and you figured that out and you became obsessed with it and like another example for me is harry potter where like i kind of missed that window and i felt the same way was, you know on facebook or twitter it's like are you a dumbledore i still don't know the terminology right but like <laughs> i've watched the movies really? and i'm excited to read the books to my daughters like i wanted to get in on it so i'll never have it i'll never i'll never have it will never give me the warm hug the way episode four does for me for star wars where it's right. like i grew up with this thing this is this thing right but i still think there's something cool to experiencing it. and i think No, i agree
0: but i can't have all the i can't do all the things
1: i gotta pick you, and choose and you picked vr and everything else is done <laughs> not wrong you're not wrong Oh, I'm excited about this. I think uh, I think it came out at a surprisingly smart time for Nintendo, where, you know, people talked about Fantastic Beasts, how the you know, Harry Potter Universe movie that just came out, how that audience was, I think, majority over 25, and it was talking about the, you know, growing up of the Harry Potter fan base. I think that a lot of that is true for Pokemon, too, where this is celebrating its 20-year anniversary, and I think this is a really smart release to come out right before Thanksgiving, when you have a lot of people traveling and going home, and now you have this awesome new Pokemon to play when you're in your old family room back trying to escape your family, <laughs> yep. and you can just grind out and catch some more Pokemon. I think it's really smart.
2: It is the perfect alternative to uh, political conversations, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh,
0: when you bring up your Fliberty gibbet, then uh, you know what? Nobody can talk about politics. <laughs> um I want to read. A, I want to t- talk a little bit about WoW with you, and then I want to read an email talking about another game. So let's uh, let's talk a little bit about WoW because you've been playing it, and I, Christian doesn't let me talk about WoW enough. So uh, now that we have a guest on this plane, w- w- like what
1: you- I ever stop you from talking about you anything do. on this show? You do you know how do. fast tabletop time would have been dead? <laughs>
0: <sighs> <sighs> was- All right. So World of Warcraft. <laughs> you <Legion>. <laughs> yes. What's your class? What What are you playing?
2: Yeah, so my main is a orc hunter. Um, uh, I leveled what, as mar- what spec? I leveled as marks, or leveled as beast mastery, and then switched to marksmanship for raiding. Okay. Um. Uh, so yeah, World of Warcraft. You know how it is. It's one of those games like Heroes of the Storm or like Magic the Gathering where it's very easy <laughs> once you're in it to not realize how crazy you sound while you talk about it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so I definitely appreciate having someone else who is that deep in it, but. Yeah, so I I main a Hunter. I also got a Demon Hunter to 110 just to see what the new class was all about. And it's fantastic and overpowered. If you've never played World of Warcraft before and you want to kind of get in it and play on easy mode, definitely... Use your level 100 character boost and uh, start with a demon hunter.
0: <laughs> yeah, they're fun, um, man. You get to fly around. Yeah, just you fly get to around. glide. I'm always jealous when my, my friend like leaps off of something and just flies. I'm like, okay, I'm going to mount up and I'll take the path and I'll see you in a second.
2: Yeah, it is painful to jump back and forth between a demon hunter and a class that can't just glide everywhere they want. Yeah.
0: Uh, so are you – what are you? Are you end gaming? Are you yeah, – are yep, you karazhan so,
2: Yeah, so I don't do – I don't get into PvP very much. That's definitely not my skill set. I'm just not fast enough either. for it or twitchy enough for it, but I love end game difficult dungeons, you know, mythic dungeons, and then looking for raid has made uh you don't need to have 20 20 friends who can all log on at the same time anymore thanks right. to the looking for raid toll, which you know, we had that slightly before Legion, but you know, it's just they've made the end game so much more fun and so much more accessible that I I really 100% believe the game is the best that it has ever been. I know they're vanilla loyalists and Burning Crusade loyalists, and I loved the game then, and I was playing the game then as well, you know? I've played it since 2004, and but it's I've never had as much fun with it as I've been having in Legion. The world quest just, you always have something to do when you log on, but it never feels overwhelming, you know? I never feel behind or like... Like, I'm uh, wasting my time when I log on. I always have something to do. There's new emissary quests every day that actually give good rewards. It's not like the old days of having to, you know, grind a dungeon over and over again to get your item level up. Now you can do that all by yourself. Yeah, You can go out, complete world quests. It's just endless fun things to do in the game. And that's before you even get into professions or anything like that.
0: I'm going to challenge you on this a little bit because, um, as, as much as I agree with all that, the last week or so I've been having a crisis of faith, my friend. I know oh, ha- I have, um, post- In Blizz- WoW or just in
1: life still? Like what are, are we still on? Uh,
0: you know, maybe one leads into the other, who knows? <laughs> um, <laughs> post-BlizzCon, I came back so energized because it was like 7.2, 7.3 was outlined. We're going to get flying in, in, um, the Broken Isles. Right, flying mounts, all these class mounts. I was so excited. Uh, came home, was all getting attuned for Karazan. It like, uh, or Karazim. I, I always, I, I was Karazan. Karazim is the freaking character from Diablo that's in Heroes <laughs> yeah. of the Storm. So it's a little annoying that they have Anubarak and they have Alarak, and the people at Blizzard don't know how to come up with original names. Everything is, <laughs> anyway. Um, um, what was I saying? Okay, so I came back from BlizzCon all excited, getting attuned. You know, you have to do those, those mythic dungeons to get attuned. And then there's a oh, quest yeah. line that was really frustrating because it was just a gank central on my PvP server. But okay, you know what? I'm all right. I did it. Made through. I'm ready to go into kerosene. Let's do this. Uh, found out my my uh, disciplined priests can't really solo heal. Uh, in in those high end dungeons it's not really the, a great spec. Okay, well I'm gonna maybe I'll learn shadow priest a little bit and get in the DPS, let my friend be a healer. Okay, it's cool. I'm gonna do this. I'm gonna I'm doing it. It's a little intimidating. Gotta level up my artifact, my new artifact for my f- shadow spec. But it's okay. I'm gonna put in the time. I'm gonna put in the time. Then I start looking into what it's gonna take to get flying in in Broken Isles. And I look at <laughs> I look at that multi-tier achievement. And you have to get exalted with every faction. Mm-hmm. Or not exalted, revered. I think. Revered. Yeah. yeah. Revered with every faction. You have to do all the quests, uh, all these quest lines, including all the quests in Suramar, which I hate, I hate Suramar. And, uh, I haven't done any of them. So that's like starting from zero. Why? Or, Could
1: you, I don't want to derail it, but like, is there a, a quick reason for uh, why? There's
0: not a quick reason. No. Okay, fine, okay it, fine,
1: fine, fine. I forgot it, to say anything. It is,
0: a, it is a, an it's area the where every, the Night Fallen, you have to be exalted with, or um, revered with the Night Fallen. Night Fallen is a bunch of, of elves that are corrupted they're all addicted to drugs basically and you have to it's mana crystals and you have to give them mana crystals in order for them to even talk to you and give you quests
1: let me rephrase my question is it gameplay or narrative or aesthetic it's like what about
0: play. it's okay. and then you have to go into this area and there's a lot of sneaking involved you have to wear a costume of a disguise to infiltrate and there's a bunch of quests you have to do and it's all very tedious and then all of the design is an element too because a lot of the areas in this in this section of the game are multi-tiered and it's really confusing if you go on these big spirals that go down and you're not clear if you're if your objective is above you or below you and it's all very confusing and annoying and frustrating anyway so i looked at all that multi Tiered achievement to get flying, and I went. I'm just. I'm not. Like this doesn't work with my lifestyle anymore. I can't.
2: I can't. <laughs> yeah. I can't. Yeah.
0: How I would can I do this?
2: Say, I would say that um, in each expansion since Flying was released, the the achievement that lets you fly in that zone before everyone can just fly in that zone has always been really difficult. Yes, and you're not wrong. Of, it's you're kind not of wrong. a privilege. Um, and you're you're right. It would make it you know, it, it would make it so much more convenient, but especially with the world quest and things when you're zooming from zone to zone and you just want to get by all the mobs without aggroing anything. But I think that... Um, you have to earn it,
0: is what you're yeah, saying. Yeah, you
2: got to earn it a little bit. And, yeah, like, yeah. I don't... I'm definitely not a purist where I think you should have to, you know, like, build a key to get into a dungeon like you used to have to and make the game harder just for it being harder. But I think the flying thing makes sense. And, you know, in the long term, they will let everyone fly in the broken isles for sure they have with every other expansion in the long term. But at the beginning, they want those people who have early access to it to really feel like they've earned it. And I get it.
1: As I just far like as this conversation. Cause it's like old Jeff came down in the telephone booth and is trying to warn young Jeff about what's going to happen to him. And young <laughs> Jeff's like, no, it's still cool. It's still great. <laughs>
2: <laughs> but, um, as far as Suramar, I, to be honest with you, I was 100% with you. It drove me crazy. I'm like, not a stealthy player at all. So I, you know, I fall out of costume all the time and get killed by a million guards. But as you progress through that Seramar storyline, it gets easier. You unlock all of these different portals within the city that let you zoom in and out of exactly where you need to be. There's like, like maybe like nine or 10 portals in that city that you can jump straight to. So you don't have to like come in the front doors and go down the stairs. Um, So Surmar gets easier the longer you're there, but I 100% agree it's my least favorite zone in the new expansion, so it's a shame that you spend so much time there at endgame. Mm -hmm. Um, But it does get better the longer you're there, and the grind for mana crystals, finding mana crystals in that city gives you find like 150 at a time instead of like the 5 or 10 you would find at a time outside of the city. Right. So the achievement is super difficult and I mean I don't have it yet either but I am kind of trying to work my way there so that I will have it. Um but it's definitely a grind. I do not disagree. Yeah. <laughs> so It feels
0: like busy work in a in a game that feels like they removed all the busy work and yes.
2: it's
1: frustrating. They were like surprise yeah. We still got busy work. Yeah. <laughs> they hit
0: it. Uh, um, let me talk a little, really quickly, about small radios, big televisions, uh, because that's the game that I've been playing uh, instead of sort of a big AAA release this week. I don't know if you guys have heard about this. It's out on PS4 and PC. I played it on PS4. Um, this is from um, Adult Swim games. Uh, really fun, clever little indie kind of experience. Very difficult to describe. It's um, a game, a puzzle game, uh, for all intents and purposes. And you are this sort of disembodied eye, uh, cursor, I guess, that's looking at these little factories that are all very Art Deco and sparse. It's almost like Fez, if you remember Fez, where you would, oh, you know, so things are on a plane, but then you can sort of rotate that plane 90 degrees as you move around a corner, you know. And then the whole thing, like, rotates 90 degrees. Um, and you're going indoors and you're trying to figure out ways to unlock other doors to get you to other areas, to get you to the next facade of the, of the factory. And while you're doing that, you are finding cassette tapes, like old 80s style cassette tapes that go into a Walkman. And when you put those cassette tapes into a Walkman, they transport you to a, a little scene um, that is not a factory, that is like a, a bubbling brook or a forest or someplace beautiful. And hidden within those little scenes are keys, little, um, octagons or pentagons or I don't know, little geometric shapes that, um, that will unlock doors back in the world. So you have to sort of find these little gems that are hidden in these scenes that are on the other side of cassette tapes. Very bizarre. Uh, and the way you sometimes find them is that you like take the cassettes and you run them through these weird grinders that mess up. It's like remix the world. Like I said, it sounds like crazy talk when I start describing it, but it's a really fun meditative game. It's very, um, you know, a a game you can sort of zone out and play. And uh, I like it. It's called Small Radios, Big Televisions. I'm about halfway through it and uh, I find it to be relaxing and uh, the puzzles aren't particularly challenging. But every once in a while, it's like, hmm, how do I do that? Um, You're, you know, moving gears and stuff. It's, It's good. Small radios, big televisions.
1: I think Adult Swim Games continues to be one of the best kind of. I don't know. I guess they're an indie publisher, but yeah, they they take they take risks in that space and publish all sorts of games and and work with people that are creating really cool and amazing stuff. I think it's now safe to assume for me that when they put out a game, I'm like, okay, I'm going to give this game a look because so far, I'd say like four out of five times, it's been. Really, really like is yeah, Totally, so yep.
0: they're really knocking yep. it out of the park. And who knew? You know, you would you would assume Adult Swim as a video game publisher would make cheap knockoff cartoon, you know, IP stuff
1: but like Whoopie Cushion the game, which could be <laughs> yeah. fun. Don't get me wrong. Yeah. No,
2: it's uh, it's really good. Yes, started from Robot Unicorn Attack, now we're here. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Which also was good, by the way.
0: <laughs> All right, I want to read this. Uh, this was a message, I think this was posted on our subreddit at 5by5dlc.reddit.com. Five five this comes from Rust Child, uh, talking about last week where we, we, we discussed uh, Dishonored 2. Uh, he said, uh, dude, I love you guys. I've been in total agreement with Jeff, and sometimes Christian, on a ton of games, but man... I feel like the confluence of the sadness of the election and a huge release of other games pushed you guys away from what I strongly feel is Game of the Year. To Jeff's point, I can totally see how Dishonored 2 would be super annoying if you had to reload constantly to long load screens. I did so during my run on many occasions, but on my PC with an SSD, it made load times virtually non-existent. There were a number of times where I had to reload five or six times just to execute my perfect plan of stealth awesomeness in order to complete my no-kill Emily run. And if I had to sit there and watch the loading bar for more than one second each time, I probably would have given up. However, if loading times were not a thing, and our favorite reviewers had made it to some of the later stages of the game, I can't imagine their takeaways wouldn't have improved astronomically. The late-game level design in in Dishonored 2 is absolutely hands-down the best I have ever seen in video game history. And I have a Steam game list that printed out would run at least five pages. The Clockwork Mansion and the Time Warp Manor missions are game design at its most bleeding edge and interesting. And it kills me that janky load times and difficulty uh, pathfinding made them give this amazing achievement uh, a a short shrift over something placed by numbers like Battlefield 1. Which I really enjoyed, but is, in my opinion like a high school baseball team taking on the majors. Please, guys, give Dishonored 2 a chance by making it to later levels before writing it off. It really is my game of the year, and I feel like I hold a pretty high bar for games in general. It kills me that you may pass this gem of of a game up. Uh, I did play the uh, Clockwork Mansion level, so there's that. Did you skip to it, or did you play to it?
1: I played to it okay because someone's emailed me like saves like pc saves <laughs> no, no, it pre- it, it's pretty early on uh that, yeah um, yeah i think it's like the next level after i gave up yeah
0: um what do you what do you think christian i'm i'm sure denny you've played uh 2 and probably like it more than we did
2: i actually haven't i pre-ordered it so i could replay the first one which i did and then i whenever it came out i was already deep in um, my Watch Dogs review so it's probably on my list for this weekend it's downloaded on the Xbox One, so hopefully the the um, load times have been patched by now. <laughs> yeah, I,
0: I don't bet on it. But uh, Christian, what, what you, what's your take on this?
1: I love this email or this this post on it. I love on the, email! <laughs> <laughs> on, the, on the subreddit. And I, I, I love that people are loving the game. And I think, unfortunately, this poster here, she nails it on the head for me where it was the wrong game at the wrong time where i did i just came off of this amazing run of of you know handheld first person awesome bombastic experiences that were very linear but incredible uh, battlefield one i love that single player campaign titanfall 2 um it's hard to say if it's as good as Half-Life 2 because that game is it's like saying any basketball player is as good as Jordan they never will be because he's Jumpman but Titanfall 2 was incredible and uh Call of Duty Infinite Warfare the back half of that game just blew me away and then to go from those games to a game like Dishonored where I was like let's go let's go let's go kill some people and then I was like oh they keep killing me Oh, oh and I hitting those load times and then playing in this dystopian world that everyone is oppressed and it's sad and it's bleak. And you know, I can't, I can't change how I felt when I played a game and the, the feeling that has stuck with me. I have, I apologize. I'm sure it's great. I'm glad people love it, but I have no desire to go back to the game. I'm sorry.
0: All right, there you go. Uh, your, your email while loved by Christian (laughs) falling on deaf ears. So it's not falling on deaf. You can judge for yourself how much he loves your email just saying
1: hey 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 Jeff uh-huh. I just wanted to let you know um I love you and I appreciate you <laughs> continue trying to make me feel bad I will not let you Christian 2.0 uh, everybody Christian, you're off my shine bro all
0: right uh let's move on I want to talk a little vr stuff so let's do that right now virtual reality. VR. Virtual by the way, uh, Sean Madigan, who, who wrote that theme song, if you're listening to this, and I hope you are, uh, thank you again. But I know you sent us a new version of that that doesn't just have my name in it, and I can't find it. So uh, if you could send that again, that would be so <laughs> awesome. I
1: probably could just email him, but you know what? I think I might have it.
0: I asked you for it, and whatever. It's fine. Um, yeah, Sean, that's not talk-
1: your fault. I appreciate the email, though.
0: <laughs> Love it. Love the email. Um, let's talk a little uh, little uh, e- VR. Uh, the game that I played most this week, honestly, is Robinson the Journey, a game that I had been eagerly anticipating ever since I got face on with it. Uh, <laughs> is at, that the expression? I knew that's what I'm going to make. <laughs> I'm going to make that stick. I got face on with uh, <laughs> that with that awful. VR game <laughs> uh, at E3 uh, Crytek game. Uh, where you're, it's basically after earth, the game, you're a little kid crash landed on an alien planet that is, is like prehistoric earth. And so there's, uh, dinosaurs, there's dinosaurs and you're walking around, you have a cool little robot buddy that floats around that helps you out. You have a pet dinosaur. So come on, pet dinosaur is already a win.
1: It sounds like Pokemon to me. Go ahead.
0: Sounds great. It's actually, it's actually a lot like Pokemon snap. Oh, for real? For real. Oh, you, wa- you walk around and one of the major game mechanics is collecting your little encyclopedia of all the creatures that live on this planet and scanning them. Um, and they do a really smart thing. They make that kind of challenging. Uh, so basically what happens is you have this little tool and you turn on the scanning mode. And then whatever creature is flying or swimming or walking around in front of you you can sort of see through them into their bones and they have little dots, green dots and red dots, and you have to move your cursor through the green dots without touching any of the red dots in order to successfully scan them. So it's actually kind of challenging because some of the dots it's, it's really cool because it's all in 3d space, right? So if the creature turns toward you in a certain way, the red dot can kind of overlap with a green dot that's farther back in their body. So you kinda of have to walk around them or position yourself correctly. And then it, it's a little uh, it takes a deft face to, uh, to you know, I would say a deft hand, but you're not using your hand. How are you're you? using your face.
1: How are you walking? In? Is this move control or dual uh, DualShock? What are you, how are you navigating?
0: Shockingly, it is not move control. It is uh, Travis Shamakery that it is not move control. In fact, it's bizarre because the aforementioned tool that you hold onto and that your character is using at all times and that is in your view constantly in, in the same way a first-person shooter's gun is always in your view. That tool looks exactly like a move controller. <laughs> it's like
1: Link's so Tablet in Zelda.
0: <laughs> yeah, it's so weird that the game does not support move controls. It does not support them, huh. period. You have to use the DualShock. You are walking around with your analog stick. And honestly, I think the reason it doesn't support the move controls is because the move controls are not built for VR. <laughs> it sucks that they are... They are uh, being co-opted for – you know, they're being um, – what is the they're word not, I'm looking for? <clears throat> they're being – Retroactively yeah. – yeah. Because there's no way to move with them. <laughs> there's no – you know, there's no – Analog. Uh, stick. Yeah. yeah. no analog, no – It's it. I mean, they could have used a teleport way to move around, which I think would have been great, but they didn't. They wanted you to walk and – I never, never once in this game, even though there's a lot of really kind of fun kinetic movement, uh, I never once got uh, nauseated. So that's good. That's good. Yeah. And it's all smooth movement. I mean, they give you some options as to how quickly you want to turn or, or how smooth you want that all to be. So there's a lot of uh, nuance in there to play if you are somebody that gets a little nauseated, but I never did. And I was on the smoothest walking, um, But yeah, it's really bizarre because, like I said, you have to scan stuff with your face. You have to look at the direction you want to move. And I say that over and over again. That's my biggest gripe with VR right now. Decouple that stuff from my face. Please, please let me move through the world and look where I want. And when I want to scan something, I, you know. I think that's a
1: nausea thing, though. I think it's that, because like even third, uh, the closest we got to that is in third-person action games or platformers, like Edge of Nowhere or, um, not Conquer, what's the, I forget the name of it already, The um, Lucky's Tale. Like, you can move and look a different way in that. And I, Those are the times you've heard people getting sick because their body's looking one way and their character's going another way, and there's that disconnect of seeing well, and doing but
0: you can do it in uh, rigs, and you can do it in Farpoint, which isn't out yet. But in Farpoint, decouples hmm. your gun from your face, and I don't want to have to look where I'm shooting. I don't want to have to, like that's not how it works, right? And um, I mean, it kind
1: of does. I mean, you're not you're not a John Woo action movie right? <laughs> Well, <laughs> you I am of in raw a data.
0: Thing. When I play raw data on on Vive, I am a I, I am literally a John Woo action movie. Um, yeah, so. It's frustrating because I tend to get neck strain by, like, looking so hard at something. When you have to, like, scan these dinosaurs and you're – you know, the red dot is really close to the green dot and some of the giant dinosaurs have dozens and dozens of dots. So you're – you know, you're, you're a minute and a half into this scanning process and if you hit a red dot, you have to start over. Oh. So huh. it's – you know, I'm like – Straining my neck to stay as still as possible to, like, you know, create a smooth line. It's a little
1: rough. I see you as the guy at like the 24 hour fitness on those like neck machines that no one ever uses. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and they're in their like VR training.
0: <laughs> the other really smart thing they do in this game is that they repurpose another Crytek VR game, The Climb. The mechanics of The Climb are like directly placed into this game. That's cool. And It's smart because they figured out how to do that really, really well, and it makes a very fun – when you're climbing around this prehistoric world, it's a blast. Uh, But again, you have to strain your neck to like look – because you have to look at the handhold that you want to go to, and sometimes it's just out of reach, but it doesn't do a good job of of communicating that it's just out of reach. Your hand just sort of misses it, and you're like – just – I'm like, I'm looking so hard at you. Why is my hand missing it? Oh, it's because I'm, you know, an inch – too far away, so I have to reposition myself on my current handhold. So there's, there's some frustration there, it, but overall, I love this game.
1: Okay, so it's a recommend. Huge must
0: buy. If you have
1: Did you PSVR, pay money for it?
0: I paid sixty dollars for it.
1: It's sixty dollars.
0: Oh wow! It is the the first PSVR game that is sixty dollars.
1: Do you have Eagle Flight? I do not. Yeah, it was kind of. I was gonna ugh, sixty bucks makes me think I'm gonna buy Eagle Flight
0: because I like being is, under the
1: hood. You know, I'm itching to get back under the hood.
0: Uh, yeah, no, I'm, I'm, I want your face on some
1: stuff, man. I'm not going to call it that. I'm not. <laughs> I would, Stop trying to I would, make would, fa- face on happen. <laughs> unless I get Just to get then take face my on. face <laughs> off.
2: <laughs> yeah. Get your face on some, some new games. No. Um, do you have any, let me try do have that. any feel for how long the, uh, like the campaign is for $60? Um, it is not super
0: long, but it is not short. It feels meaty. Um, I found, <laughs> myself taking a little longer than probably I should because, again, the game has some flaws. It it doesn't communicate the objectives very, very well. So I found myself like wandering around going, what do I do next? But uh, there is some really great stuff. For example, just being in a prehistoric world with dinosaurs in VR is utterly thrilling. And they they do a great job of maximizing the scale of dinosaurs. The first time you emerge from this cave and you see a brontosaurus, it's stunning. And I'm playing obviously on PlayStation four pro and I ga- the game looks as good. I'm telling you, it looks as good as stuff I'm playing on my PC. It, it, they, this is one of the best VR games from a visual standpoint, period,
1: period. Oh,
3: like
0: man. it's, gorgeous it's gorgeous and they do so many really fun things little different areas that you get to go to cool lighting effects you get to slide on things and move around the world it's a, it feels like an adventure and completely non-violent you know we were talking non-violent before they figured out how to create this really captivating gameplay loop that doesn't involve any killing or murdering it's just exploration collecting these creatures into your encyclopedia figuring out where to go next climbing on stuff it's really really fun
1: Uh, i love it um maybe i'll come to your house because that can uh that'll be my rent before i buy Uh, you can put your face on my stuff dude come on come on
0: (laughs) okay the other reason you have to come to my house christian there's another big reason you have to come over
1: okay am i putting my face on something else
0: you gotta put your face on (laughs) earth i know Face all up on earth dude google earth vr came out this week here's my experience it made me cry I got a text from friend of the show, Brian Brushwood. You guys probably know Brian Brushwood from- I don't know
1: if he wants you to say this publicly, but go ahead.
0: He texted me and he was like, Jeff, if you tried Google Earth VR, it made me cry. (laughs) And I was like, me too, (laughs) me too. And so I know people who know me from various shows, including Slash Film, know that I cry (laughs) relatively easily. I'm a big softy. Some people would use a different word. I prefer to say big softy. But Brian Bushwood is not. So it's proof that I'm not – it's not just because uh, old uh, wussy Jeff, you know. It is it is a transcendent experience. Google Earth VR. Not, not necessarily a game, but it's an experience that they just released on the Vive for free, only on Vive right now. I I can't – I can't tell you guys. You guys know what it is, right? You you are... Well, I know what it is. I know I'm sad that I
1: own two helmets and can't do it. (laughs) You
0: you stare at planet Earth. You reach out. You rotate planet Earth. You zoom in anywhere on planet Earth. You zoom down. You're hovering over it. Everything's in 3D. You're, you know, hovering over Tokyo. You're hovering over the Grand Canyon. You're... Wherever you want to go, just go there. Just zoom around the planet. It looks all photoreal. If you get really really close down to, to the stuff the, the you know the detail wanes. It,
1: I'm not going to lie and say it all looks, you know, completely well, Did it wane or could you just not see through your tears?
0: <laughs> well, that too, right? It looked all really it, yeah, it looked all wisty. <laughs> I don't know. Uh, but uh it's um it's quite something. It's yeah,
2: uh, it's the proof of concept for Civ 7, right? Yeah, well that's Civ 7 or
0: Sim City, like right I'm standing over Tokyo, looking around, going, "SimCity needs to. This needs to be Sim, SimCity. It's photoreal city. It's amazing." And I'm hovering over it. Um, it. It just, it just blows my mind that my son is going to live in a world where this
1: already exists.
0: Like this is normal.
1: Like, and he can look at what the Earth used to look like. Is that? Yeah.
0: <laughs> yeah. Okay. All right. All right. I'll stop gushing over it, but it, it really is. um you have to come over. That's I will.
1: Amazing. I like uh, Casey Asante in the chat, though, says the reason why VR failed, quote, put your face on it. <laughs> <laughs> people will look back at this day.
0: I don't understand why put your face on it isn't, the, isn't
1: <laughs> attractive and uh,
0: makes people want to do it. <laughs> All right. Um, you know, as we're running long, I got so many emails this week about uh, tabletop time. People mad at me that we skipped it last week. People mad at me that we still do it in the show. Uh, It's controversial, but you know what? We're going to do a little tabletop time, and we're going to do a little tabletop time right now. Right now, right now. I know Christian doesn't want it in the show. A lot of it's people not that I know.
1: don't want it in the show. I just have very off, very rarely have anything to contribute, but I enjoy hearing you talk about most of the games you talk about. But if I could get rid of it, I would.
0: There, <laughs> <laughs> it's not that I don't want it in the show, but if I had the power to remove it from the show, uh, people in the, in the, um, in the uh, subreddit were asking it
1: not to be in the show and the other people are like,
2: no, I want it in the show. Well, my, yeah. my vote is to have it in the show, and I'm here today, so... All right. Daddy,
1: can, I just do do my, my, can I just do my parting gift and plugs before it, so no, in case people to turn it off? you have to sit there, and you have to take it. But what if people don't listen to this, and then it's they'll so never hear sad. it? It's what so sad. It's sad have...
0: to me when people are saying, oh, I hear the tabletop time <laughs> bumper, and it means like, time to turn off the
1: show. All right, They're guys, not even so... hearing
0: me say that right now, because it's after the tabletop time bumper, but it makes me sad.
1: Well, can I just tell you this? I got an early look at Titanfall 3, which is already in development, no, and you it is incredible, you guys. Basically, what they, wouldn't that be no, funny? Tabletop time, (laughs) we just dropped spoilers now like the juiciest the nintendo switch the actual release date you guys
0: (laughs) um denny yes tell me about the tabletop games you've been playing
2: okay so um i play a ton of tabletop games so a couple things one pretty casual one that i think is a great one for people who like code names and werewolf and mafia and those types of games um is spyfall have you guys played this I actually printed this out myself so I could play it. It's a <laughs> a, a while back before
0: you could get it cuz it was a game where you, like you couldn't get it in America for a long time and so I did the print and play version and brought it out to a party. It was a big it was a big hit. People yeah. dug it.
2: Yeah, so it's a uh... It's three to eight players, kind of best somewhere in the middle there, around like maybe like five or six players. But the deal with this game is that you have a sheet of paper on the table that has something like 25 locations on it. There's a bank and a train and a zoo, just 25 places. And then everyone who's playing gets a card that has the name of one of those locations, and it will be the same for everyone. So You might have one that says you're at a bank and you're a teller. Christian might have one that says he's at a bank and he's a security guard. But then one person gets a card that just says the word spy on it. And then the goal of the game, only through discussions with each other in a seven minute window, is to figure out is so the spy wants to figure out where he is or where he or she is based on the questions people are asking and the answers people are giving. And everyone else wants to figure out who the spy is. Right. And you might think like, why don't you just completely lie and like say something way off to so the spy could never figure it out. But the downside to that is that then everyone else on your team thinks you're the spy. So it's this really cool balance of wanting to be um, specific enough that the people on your team know you know where you're supposed to be and the spy in vague enough that the spy can't figure out, figure it out. It's my new favorite bluffing game for sure.
0: Yeah, it's really cool. And that dance that you're talking about between saying too much and not saying enough and implicating yourself and not implicating yourself. And then the fun thing, too, when you're the spy, you, you're in the position of just completely trying to bluff because you have no information. Right. And if It's your, your turn to talk. You just have to sort of try to convince people that you know something even though you know nothing. Uh, it's pretty great.
2: Yeah, it's fantastic. And it's super quick. Like I said, a round takes seven minutes. So you can sit down, you know, play it during happy hour, stuff like that. It's an awesome quick game. Um, another one that I've been playing that's kind of on the opposite end of the spectrum. That yeah, you not a of, quick game. No, oh. you, need to, you need to carve out three hours or so for is uh, called Millennium Blades. Have you played this game, Jeff? I have not. It is intimidating oh. to me. I love the concept,
0: but it, I have stayed away because it seems insane.
2: Yeah, so it's a collectible card game simulator, which means that it's a board game about playing a game like Magic: The Gathering or Yu-Gi-Oh or Pokemon. Yeah, um, let's
0: be real clear about about that. So <laughs> it, it is not only is it a collectible card game, like it is, you play a game like Magic: The Gathering within the game, but like, you also play a meta game of playing those kinds of games. So you're also like. Collecting cards and trading cards There's an economic model that's built into the playing of the game that mirrors the economic model of, like, acquiring magic cards.
2: Yeah, yeah, there's two phases to the game, kind of. So, the first phase is going to the card shop. So, you... Go somewhere, you know, on the board, and there are booster packs that, and, and there's a timer. So you, you and everyone else who's playing is in the store for maybe five minutes. You flip the timer, and then you have a certain amount of money to spend. You go through, you buy boosters, you open them, see what cards you get, and then there's like a uh, a secondhand market where you can sell cards back to get some cash back. You can trade cards with other players, just like just simulating the idea of building a magic deck pretty much, except that you're doing this all in five minutes. And then the second part of the game is taking all those cards you collected and actually playing this fake card game, Millennium Blades. Um, It's kind of a hard recommendation because it is really long and it's a complicated setup and there are a ton of different kinds of cards. You really need someone who is going to take the time to organize this game for you if you want to play it. Um, But it's fun. It's worth playing once. (laughs) I am not dying to return to it, but if you're like a person who has spent time in that world, you know, if you played Competitive Magic or Yu-Gi-Oh and you have fond memories of that kind of thing, then... It's a pretty hilarious meta commentary on that on that side of gaming. It's a
0: fascinating concept. And I I love that somebody pulled it off. It just it sounds it, would it take like three or four hours for you to play?
2: Yeah, three I think three hours is a safe bet the first time you're playing it. It's yeah. pretty cool as well. The like starter scenario is that you play a pre-release. So that's how you learn to yeah. play the game, is it's awesome. like you're going to a pre-release for a new set.
0: It's crazy because like the back of the cards, it, it looks like a pack and then you flip them over and it's like you opened the pack and you got this card out of the pack. Uh, it's, yeah, it's, yep, clever. it's pretty sweet. Um, I yeah, I, I would love to give it a try. It's not something I'm going to buy because I just don't think I would never be able to talk anybody into playing it more than i <laughs> <once. laughs>
2: right. Yeah. I don't know if you guys have board game cafes. We have a few here. They're pretty yeah. sweet where you can go and pay $10, play games for a day. I'd find a board game cafe that has this one. Maybe
0: cool. Um, one of the things I've been getting a lot of tweets about this week uh, because we're we're heading toward American Thanksgiving, um, I've had a bunch of people ask me a, a great recommendation for a game to bring out for Thanksgiving, for their family, when they're getting together with their family. And I always love that. This year, my go-to recommendation is code names., uh, if you haven't tried code names, we talked about it at length on the show. It's just the easiest game to recommend for um, people that don't play a lot of board games. It's easy to teach. It's really clever. I think it'll spark everybody's imagination. You can play game after game after game. It goes quickly. Um, It's cheap. It's like 15 bucks on Amazon right now. Just buy code names, bring it to Thanksgiving. Thank me later. Um, But Spyfall is another great one that Denny brought up that would work. I have a few other uh, quick picks that you probably have heard me mention on the show before. Um, between two cities is, is a more, a little more complicated. If you're into something a little, it's not complicated. That's the wrong word. It's just a little more, um, more board gamey. It's, uh, you're actually creating cities in front of you, but you're doing it between the people on either side of you. So you're actually creating cities with a partner, uh, but you're doing it with two different partners at the same time while trying to make your city the best. Very cool. Uh, And it plays quick. All of these games that I thought of for Thanksgiving, my requirements were, uh, easy to describe, teach people, uh, plays relatively quickly is, uh, supports un- a high number of players. Cause usually on Thanksgiving, you can't just play a two player or four player game. You got more people around. So here, here those are some quick picks. Uh, you've heard me talk about, uh, formula D before it's a racing game. Easy to explain to people cause they get it. It's basically roll and move, but roll and move done. Right. So uh, it plays up to like 10 or 12 players at once. That's also cool but you're you're racing little toy cars around a track. Everybody understands that concept and the mechanics of doing it are really clever, really thematic and really involve a lot of strategy. So that's cool. Dixit is a game I've talked about a lot before, uh, really free flowing, free form, um, a game where you're trying to describe images that are very esoteric. Uh, these cool French artistic um, cards that are in the game, trying to describe them in ways that clue people into things, but don't give it away completely. Uh, Really cool. Plays up a high number of players. Really cool. Uh, No thanks. You've heard me talk about before. Abstract game um, that uh, is very simple to learn, very quick, very inexpensive, very easily easily portable. Um, Wits and Wagers, I think, is the best party game ever made. Um, It's a game of trivia where not knowing the answer is just as fun as knowing it. Um, So check out Wits and Wagers. And then uh, Junk Art. I don't think I've talked about that game before. It's relatively new, probably the newest on the list here. Uh, It's from the same people that made Flick'Em Up, which is a game I really love. It's another dexterity game. Think of it as uh, Jenga, but... (coughs) Excuse me. Jenga, but evolved. So, uh, you're stacking things, but the things you're stacking are all differently shaped... And you don't know what order you're going to be stacking them in. And so you're kind of competitively figuring out ways to stack these weird objects that all sort of fit together in odd ways. Uh, And the game has a whole bunch of different rule sets. So the actual way you play the game can change from round to round. And that makes it really fun and unpredictable. And it plays quick. It can play up to six players. It's great. It's called Junk Art. So that should help you uh, get through some uh, awkward family time, hopefully, if you pick up those games. A lot of inexpensive stuff, a lot of easy to get stuff, uh, all of it available uh, at your local game store. So uh, I would love to hear stories of Thanksgiving or other board gaming uh, glories. If you want to send those, uh, dlcfeedback at gmail.com. All right, it's time now to end the show. Christian can wake back up we are got your parting gift coming up very soon, so stick around for that. But let me thank Denny Connolly for being here. Denny, you're the best. I appreciate it. Thanks for hanging out with us and talking games.
2: Anytime. It's always a good time. And where can people keep up with your stuff? Yeah, you can find me on Twitter at Denny Connolly. That's C-O-N-N-O-L-L-Y. Um, and also at GameRant.com. I write and edit there every day. Awesome. Christian, what about you? What are you, uh, what are you doing this week?
1: Uh, Well, the update on the album recording, thanks to listeners that were there. Um, It seems cheesy to say, but I'm uh, uh, happy. I felt like I had something to say, which was, uh, I think, is is sometimes rare in comedy. But it's looking like it won't be coming out until 2017, early 2017. I kind of just want to
0: hit that switch launch window.
1: Right, I want to I wait for Zelda. To, no, uh, it's, this is a very busy time of year where people are spending money, spending time with family, and it seemed like an awkward time to maybe drop a comedy album. Maybe I could be talked out of it. But right now it's looking like end of January is kind of what I'm looking for. But uh, it was a lot of fun uh, to do down in San Diego. So thanks to everybody that was there. And then easiest way to keep up with me is Twitter, which is at Spicer. I host a parenting podcast with Chris Quintos called Department of Parenting, which you can find at departmentofparenting.com. Stuart Noct and I are still doing uninformed opinions. We're kind of on an every other week rotation now as um, his kids get older and our lives get busier, but that is still roaring along when it comes out. And then um, I think maybe to fill that void in my podcast heart, I started at least 20 more minutes, which is uh, a weekly show where I spend at least 20 minutes talking about something in the larger group geek world um last week's show was about what i kind of would call adult sci-fi and the film arrival got me thinking about that this week's show is going to be kind of fomo or missing the boat on things and whether or not you can still get involved and you can find that over at patreon.com slash christian spicer jeff uh what about you
0: I have a couple of other shows for you to check out. You can always hear me talk about science and do it in a funny way by listening to We Have Concerns. That's at wehaveconcerns.com. Just 20-minute episodes. Lots of fun. I think you'll dig it if you check that out. Uh, Also, the Slash Filmcast is where I talk about movies. Uh, Last two episodes of the Slash Filmcast are the most downloaded episodes of the Slash Filmcast of all time. Wow, so, uh, nice. get in on that train. People are uh, checking us out in huge numbers, and I'm really, really grateful for it. So I hope you can listen to it. It's a, it's a show I'm really proud of. Um, I didn't start it, but I joined late, and I'm so proud to be a part of it. It's really, really great. Uh, this week, I think we're talking about oh, – I know we're talking about The Handmaiden and uh, what else? What is the other big movie that – Mona? Is that yet? No. Huh. can't remember what the other movie is we're talking about, and we're recording it like in an hour. So I remember, <laughs> um, what, what else has came out this Fantastic week? Fantastic beasts. Yes. That's what we're talking about. <laughs> Fantastic beasts and where to find them. Uh, it's so bad. I put it out of my head. Oh, wow, yes, it's bad. Uh, anyway, um, that's at slash filmcast.com. You can listen to that show there. I appreciate it. All right, guys, let's wrap up the show now with our parting gifts.
1: Hey, give us a suggestion.
0: you got something to recommend that can get people through their week?
2: Yeah, absolutely. So I've been revisiting 20th Century Boys by Naoki Urasawa. It's a, it's a manga. I've, have you guys ever read this book? No. Oh, this not. is – you would both love it. So 20th Century Boys is a story about rock and roll and friendship and uh, tyrannical governments. <laughs> um, so it's basically the story of this group of kids who – When they're playing, when they're in elementary school, they make up this story about how the world might end and how this cult will take over the government. And then they all grow up and forget about it. And, you know, they're not friends anymore. And sometime in their late 20s, the things that they predicted when they were kids, when they were playing this game, start happening in real life. So they draw the conclusion that it must be one of them who's setting these events into motion and it's this crazy mystery that jumps back and forth between the 70s and um like the late 90s where they try to figure out what's going on it's my probably my favorite comic of all time if you've never read any Naoki Urasawa he's fantastic if you've never read any manga in general he's like the perfect bridge between american comics and japanese comics if you like books like why the Last Man, and Ex Machina, DMZ, like all those kind of great Vertigo comics, you would love this. It's a nice meaty story. It's like 22 volumes long, so and it has a definitive end, and it's awesome from start to finish.
0: Wow. Huh. Again, that's called 20th Century Boys. Christian, how about you? You got a parting gift?
1: Well, I saw this film that is just fantastic. Um, it's Fantastic Beasts and Where to Find... And it is um, whimsical and fun, and I haven't seen them I'm just... I am hoping people time.
0: like it. If uh, I, I want people to like it. I did not.
1: I have not seen it. It is on my uh, holiday list to see. But um,
2: oh, you know all those things you liked about Harry Potter.
1: It yeah, doesn't,
2: it doesn't have any of those. Anyway. Oh well, I'm late what, to Harry Potter. That's what happens when you make a movie about Hufflepuffs. That's <laughs> <laughs> <God's>
1: fired. Um, <laughs> this is for Marvel Unlimited. Uh, Stuart knocked uh, wombat well, from TPS Gamer. He's been singing its praises to me as we, you know, before and after we record uninformed opinions, and they seem to occasionally have these like get a month free or right now it's like if you buy a year up front it ends up being five bucks a month or whatever and i was getting so behind on my comic book pull list anyway that the fact that marvel unlimited is updated it's like you know four months behind what's current doesn't seem to bother me anymore so it does have some limits it does well it has some limits but i think the unlimited is you can read all you want uh, uh you just not the newest newest within stuff. limits Within limits, within limits, but it's their subscription service, it's their Netflix, it's Marvel books only, but they've started including graphic novels, and I like it because I can wait for a run to finish, and then go read that run and see if it's any good, <laughs> and you can dive in and experience new things, I'm reading the 1998 Inhumans 12 issue series right now, that is really cool, it's a, a nice... um take on the Inhumans and I think in a a fun and creative way. Yeah, that book's great. Yeah, yeah, it's really good. It's like Jenkins and Lee, I think, Mm -hmm. uh, author-writer. Yeah. Uh, Yeah, so Marvel Limited, it's uh, comic books, and it's an easy way to, again, survive the holidays (laughs) if you need some alone time.
0: (laughs) Uh, So if you are looking for a film to see relatively soon and uh, you want a good family fun film and uh, you are smart enough to avoid Fantastic Beasts, uh, may I recommend Moana? uh it is absolutely incredible i cannot tell you how much i loved it it is just perfect it it's near perfect uh, i mean the rock can do anything it it seems he's charming he sings he's he's the best of us the rock is the best of us uh but also the the film is spectacular looking it's action packed it's got unexpected twists and turns it's got uh it's based on a mythology that isn't obvious. Like we didn't, we haven't heard it a million times. It's really original and interesting. Just go see Moana. It it is, I guarantee you, if you listen to the show and you like video games, you would love it. It's not just for kids. I think it is better than most of the Pixar films. There's only a few Pixar films that are better than Moana. It's that good. Um, Loved it. So that's really the kids movie to take your kids to instead of the. Scary
1: for a four-year-old. I don't think so.
0: I mean, there's like a big sort of uh flame monster uh, at the end, but it's not Okay. It doesn't cool. play as like a scary flame monster. It plays like a exciting action packed flame monster.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Cool. I have a Estelle Dad Alone weekend where Claire and Amanda are going out of town, so I'm planning all these super fun things. I mean, you know, it's like ice cream for breakfast every day, you know what I mean? <laughs>
0: Uh, it is not Pixar. It is Disney Animation Studios. Um, somebody, but the-
1: all oversaw, overseen now by uh, what's his John Lasseter. Yeah, yeah, but
2: and it has at least some of the music is written by Lin Manuel from Hamilton, right? Right.
1: Yes.
0: Uh, and the music, the music's really fun. I came out whistling a tune. Uh, the action sequences
1: are awesome. It's just great and i've heard That's it's great. gorgeous like maybe the Utterly, most visually beautiful
0: well it's, you know what's so fun too as a video game fan is that you watch those old pixar movies and we all went oh someday video games are gonna look at that good and now they do and i could, you can look at moana and go someday video games real time yeah video game graphics are gonna look that good and they will we're, we're not far away from it it's gonna it's gonna look that good and it is just gorgeous awesome all right. That's going to do it for this episode of DLC. Thank you to Danny Connolly and Christian Spicer for hanging out with me. Uh, thanks to our musical contributors, Sean Madigan, Patrick L zero star. Thanks to all the folks in the chat room that hung out with us. You guys are awesome. I do want to say a special thank you to everybody that reached out to me this week, uh, reached out to both of us, I should say, uh, and, uh, had positive things to say about our episode last week because, uh, I think we were a little, um, raw. And it, it means a lot that you guys responded positively to that. So thank you for all of you that reached out on Twitter or on, uh, on you know, through dlcfeedback at gmail.com. It really does mean a lot to us. Uh, and thanks to everybody that's listening now. Uh, even if you left during tabletop time, I retroactively thank you. Uh, <laughs> we all will be back next week. Until then, think about what you put out into the world, make it a better place.